Well, Happy New Year, First Family. What's my word? I like this so well, we're going to play it again. Man, it's good to see you guys. Is it just me or does it feel like it's been a long time since we were together last? I'm telling you, one of the joys, though, is the fact that we can come together so regularly. Today, we're going to get the new year started right. We're going to set our eyes on things that are above and things that are ahead, and we're going to ask ourselves some questions to help us make sure that we're thinking the right kind of thoughts as we get this new year started. But maybe for some of you, this last year has been one that was one where you sort of, instead of stretching for the finish line, you feel like you've limped across it. Before we leave 22, I want us to take a moment and put it in God's hands. It's already there, but as best we know how, we're going to leave it there. Let's pray together for that very thing. Lord Jesus, we stand before you today with a new year. Grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to gather again in your house and to be together as a family. And it is our prayer, Lord, that you would meet with us here as we begin, Lord, we begin with an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement that things don't always go the way we wish they would. For many of us, Lord, 22 had many things like that. Many things that we looked back and said, I wish that had been different. Regrets, sorrows, griefs, we can't fix them, Lord. Some of those things are just where they are. As best we know how, Lord, we desire today to place them in your hands and to walk away from them, to set them aside, to learn from them perhaps, but to not carry them into this new year. We can't fix the past, Lord, you've already done that. And so my prayer is that today, in this moment, we leave the past where it is, behind us, and we trust you with all those things that happen. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But it is January 1st. It will be 11 years before we have January 1st on a Sunday. Let's make sure we use it well. What do you say? So the word of God is in Matthew 16 for us today. It's a word that Jesus brought to his disciples at a point of transition. Now you might say, hey, Darren, Jesus is halfway to crucifixion from where we left him last week at his nativity to the crucifixion. In Matthew 16, he's halfway between those two. It's not the beginning. No, but it is a beginning for our friends, the disciples. If you read the first 17, 18, 20 verses of Matthew 16, you'll see they come face to face with asking a hard question, who is Jesus? Not an intellectual question, but a relational one. Who is Jesus for me? Jesus asks them, who am I? And they give him some proper theological answers and ones that are culturally appropriate. But then Jesus flips it around on them when he does that. Jesus flips it around on him and he says, but who do you say I am? 
You see, that's the thing about it. Our walk with Christ has to be first person if it's going to be genuine. Your friend, your family, even your spouse's walk with Christ is not enough for you. We've got to live life on purpose if we're going to live it the way Christ meant for us to. So I want us to stand together and read Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26. Let's stand as we read from the word of the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, now that we've surrendered the old year, we commit to you this new one. Oh Lord, we don't know what's around the corner, but we know you do and that you're already there. You've invited us to live on purpose, and Lord Jesus, our desire is to do that very thing today. Would you help us, Lord, to set our minds and our hearts toward you? Even now, hours into the new year, let us set our hearts in the direction that we want to go all year long. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your timelessness, for your passion for us, for your love, and for the chance, Lord Jesus, to start over again, afresh and anew with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, when Jesus declares this statement, when Jesus stands back and lets it rip on this, he's declaring something about how to live. More accurately, why? Simon Sinek is a business writer that I enjoy reading. He wrote a book a few years ago, and the, the title of it is really simple, Start With Why. So many businesses, so many people, they want to get down to what they're going to do or how they're going to do it that they forget to even ask, why do it at all? I remember a few years ago, some friends of mine were working on this really awesome video for a, 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 a summer camp ministry called Super Summer, and the video was incredible. Let me just tell you, it was awesome. There was all kinds of special effects. They spent hours doing this video, and when it got to the end, they were so excited because I was one of the ones that had to approve it to say, yes, go ahead with this. And I was sitting there watching it, and, and they turned to me as the, the lights come up, and I said, there's only one problem. It never says super summer. The very reason we did the video isn't in the video. They both looked at each other and scratched their heads and said, how could we have missed it? They had all the right pieces. All the scenes that they had were videos that we shouted super summers, but they never actually said, this is super summer. Let's not make that mistake, friends. Instead, let's live life on purpose just like Jesus is calling us to. There are, there are three big pieces to this and a fourth one that will call all the others into function. So let's talk about how we live life on purpose. One, decide you will follow Jesus with purpose. 
Jesus declares earlier who he is, now we get to respond. Who I am is in light of who Jesus is. Deciding that I will follow Jesus with purpose means that I'm going to respond yes to what he said there in verse 24. If, aha, let's make sure we understand this, not everyone will. Did you get that? If, not everyone will. There will be many, in fact, if we go back to Matthew chapter 7, there will be many who won't. They will reject Jesus' claims as Lord. They will ascribe him to the lunatic category, or they'll ascribe him to the liar category, or worse yet, they'll ascribe him to the irrelevant category. But we get to decide if we will follow Jesus. Decide with, that you will follow Jesus with purpose. Grab a hold of this now because this is important. It's a matter of intent. It's not a requirement. You can function in life without this, but you can never live life to its fullest apart from it. There are a lot of people that will live with a beginning point, but it just doesn't lead them to the end they want. It is as if they have been climbing a ladder that has leaned against the wrong wall. They will only discover that when they reach the top of it. I caution you today, friends. I caution you to not decide is to decide. To postpone deciding is to declare that you will not follow Jesus. Allowing yourself the luxury of not setting your heart and mind condemns you to a life of wandering in the fog. And we don't have a whole lot of fog in our part of the world, but a few weeks ago, we did. Maybe some of you remember that, Thanksgiving week. I had a friend from out of town. He was from a coastal region, and he woke up that morning, and I was taking him out to breakfast, and he said, Darren, this looks a lot like my coastal region with all the fog. Do you have this all the time? And I said, no, we brought it in just for you. <laughs> what struck me, though, was as I was driving over to pick him up, I reached a certain point on the, the, the loop around town that the sun had gotten to, sort of. It's kind of hard to describe, but I could tell the bright light of the sun was burning away the fog. Where I had been hadn't, hadn't quite gotten there. It was still shady, but this part up here, it was where the sun was getting to. Let me just be clear. The sun will burn away the fog. Let me say that again in case you were slow. The sun will burn away the fog. And I'm not spelling that S-U-N. There's a lot of fog of disagreement, discouragement, anger, animosity, cynicism, and bitterness. The sun will burn it away if I let it. Now, I can keep shrouding the sun. I can keep hiding from it, but it is at my own peril. Decide that you will follow Jesus on yourself, on purpose, that your life will be directed toward his, because if anyone includes you. So if I'm going to follow Jesus, how do I do it? Here's where you start, and it's the hardest place to begin. Deny yourself. There are a million, jillion resolutions that have been made over the course of the last couple of weeks, and they'll all be broken by Friday. Maybe not by this Friday, but next Friday. 
I caution you about believing that resolutions and willpower enough are alone, are enough to get you through all by themselves. Denying myself recognizes, get this, that I don't have the power to do it all by myself. That I can't do it. I can't work up enough strength. I can't pull my own bootstraps high enough to get to a place where I can do it. That's why Jesus says, stop trying. The world says, be the best version of yourself you can be. Jesus says, deny yourself. Those two could not be further apart. I want to encourage you to take Jesus' advice, not everybody else's. When he says, deny yourself, he says, look in the mirror and say no to that person first. No, I will not engage in the lawlessness and sinfulness of those around me. No, I will not engage in the things that others say are okay when my Lord has said it's not. No, I will not engage in things that are self-destructive and are, are tearing others apart. No, I will not be a part of those things. That's what denying myself means. It means getting to know and sticking to it. Here's another piece to it. If I slip up, denying myself means I don't allow myself to stay there. One of the greatest challenges that we have in life is forgiving ourselves. Let's proclaim something together. God has forgiven me. Would you just say that with me? God has forgiven me. Say it one more time. God has forgiven me. This is the truth. This is what the Word of God proclaims to us, and it is the Word that gives us hope in life today. God has forgiven me. The second part is just as important. I must forgive myself. There are some stains that are deep, and it's possible that I will carry it around with me for the rest of my life. Can I tell you, friends, that's not what Jesus meant for us to do? When I deny myself, then I put those things aside, that I lay them beside because it's not me that's the most interesting person anyway. It's Jesus. Denying myself recognizes that I'm not in first place. Jesus is. There's a third piece to this. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Taking up your cross and follow me. It's a deliberate choice. Get this, it's important, because it's a one-way trip. You know, I think I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating today. When I was 15 years old, my dad enrolled us in a, a, a computer coding class at the University of Texas at Arlington. And you know, my dad was a, a visionary. He was a body man, but he was a visionary for what the future could be, and that's why he signed us up for this class. I don't even know where he learned about it, but we, my dad was not a college man. So we went onto a college campus for the first time, and he turned into a parking lot, and I saw the sign first, and I saw the traffic that was coming toward us, and I said, Dad, 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 wait, this is a one-way street. And he said, don't worry. Somebody flagged us down, and I was trying to crawl under the seat. You understand what I'm saying to you? 15 years old, this is as embarrassing as it gets. Man rolls down his window, flags us down. He's coming the other way, and he says, uh, hey, this is a one-way street. My dad looks at him and says, I'm only going one way, and rolls his window back up. <laughs> I've never been more horrified. 
This is the essence of the way some people live, as if one way doesn't apply to them. I caution you, all of us are on a one-way trip. I did 26 funerals in 2022, on average one every other week. You might say, that's a lot. That's down from the 35 that I did in 2021. Not all of them were unexpected, but some of them were. Just a few weeks before Christmas, we did a funeral for our friend, friend Chad Bingham, a 53-year-old firefighter. Went to sleep and never woke up. Our lives have an expiration date. We just don't know when it is. That's why Jesus commends us to take up our cross and follow him. If we're not going to get out of this life alive anyway, then let's make sure we live on purpose by setting our hearts on Jesus and inviting others to do the same. It will not be popular. It will not be easy. But it will be definitive. It will not be easy because suffering is a part of our journey. Whoever said the Christian life is supposed to be easy wasn't paying attention. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. If Jesus is my example and his direction is the way that I'm going, and if he suffered, then I should expect to suffer too. There's a belief among many that if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have to suffer, that suffering should be something I'm exempted from because of Jesus. Jesus has saved me from that. The Apostle Paul would be surprised by that. He suffered. I encourage you to recognize today, suffering is an expected part of the Christian journey. I said expected, not welcome. If I'm going to suffer, let it be for a purpose. Jesus calls me to himself to take up his cross and follow after him. There's a fourth component to this, and it's the one that ties all the other three together. It's what Jesus spends verses 25 and 6 talking about. It's the warning as well as the admonition. All of us are going to lose our lives. Not all of us will get to choose how to lose it. Let's choose to lose. Choosing to lose means that I recognize none of this is mine to keep anyway. The greatest asset we have as Christ followers is the capacity to choose where to lose our lives. These three pieces plus one allow us the luxury that others don't have. Freedom to declare ourselves as Christ's. Now, why don't others have that? Because they reject it. They will turn their back on it. Who will tell them the truth? Who will show them the truth? This is where we're back to what we've talked about all throughout the fall. I will. Who will reach the Permian Basin? I will. Who will serve Midland? I will. Who will tell them about Jesus? I will. I hope you will too. Okay, so how then shall we do this? Let us talk about some practical steps. And some of these I emailed to you on Thursday or Friday. We shall start in prayer. 
There are a lot of things that we can do once we have prayed. There is nothing we can do more important than prayer. Prayer is our lifeline. It is what connects us to God. It is what allows us the privilege of coming to the throne room of heaven boldly and proclaiming we are his. I want you to think with me for a moment about your prayer life and I want you to be encouraged by it because many of us simply measure ourselves against the most spiritual person we know, whoever that might be. And we say, my prayer life isn't as good as theirs. God isn't comparing you to them. He's not asking you to measure up to some mythical standard. He just wants you to be his child. That's enough. What he asks of you is nothing more than you simply coming to him in prayer. Now, the mistake many of us make in prayer is we come with our wish list. Do you remember the wish book that we used to do for Christmas? There's a new version of it. It's just online now, where we scan over it and we put it on our wish list, and that's where people go to shop for us, right? So that's what we do with God. We bring him our wish list. We say, God, these are the things that I need you to do. Take care of these things and let me know when you're done. The problem is I'm not sovereign, and neither are you. I'm not omniscient, neither are you. I'm not omnipotent, neither are you. These are the things that are uniquely God. So in prayer, I anchor myself to things that are true. And one of them is that God is God and always will be. And because he is God, I can trust him. He's been faithful. I can rest in him. He's been loving. I can trust his goodness. It's always been there for me. And tell, let me tell you, friends, this goodness compels me back in prayer. Now, do you have to do it like Martin Luther did it? three hours a day. No. The real impetus is that you pray. So let us begin there. And for what shall we pray? Let's talk about a few things that <clears throat> we shall pray for. One, pray for revival for our church, Permian Basin in the U.S. This, friends, compels me to pray for a spirit, movement of the spirit, that starts here. We cannot expect revival to come when we hold it back in our own lives. This, friends, is things that we will work on throughout this year. Expect to see gospel-centered training and challenging people to step out. We've got ideas and plans for challenging you into outreach and reaching our community in new ways. The, the, the North Campus is the first step in that, but it's not the last. Friends, we pray today for revival, for what God is doing right here in our church, in our lives, and most definitely all across our U.S. I believe there is a revival coming, friends, but I believe it begins with us, not someone else. Here's the second thing that we would pray for. Pray for people to stand firmly on the authority of God's Word. If I ask you to stand up if you believe the Bible, every person in the room would probably stand up. If I asked how many spend time in God's Word regularly, the group would be much smaller. Many of us take the ragu approach to Scripture. You remember the spaghetti sauce from years ago. It's in there. I know it's in there. Well, that's all fine and good, but you know what? One of the things that I believe is that engaging God's Word daily changes me. 
So I finished reading through the Bible yesterday. I completed the last section of it, and I marked it off my list, had a little celebration, and got up this morning and started over. You might say, well, are you going to find something new? I already have. Maybe you will too. Psalm 1 reminds me of why it's important that I stay anchored to the stream that is God's word. You need it as well. If I asked you today to commit to a reading of God's word daily, some of you would be honest enough to say no. We bless you for your honesty, but let me challenge you to it just the same. Here's one of the things that I encourage you. If you got a new device for Christmas, be it a computer, tablet, or a phone, let one of the first things you do be downloading the Bible on it. It's free. There's a church in Oklahoma City, Life Church, that they started this project a long time ago, and it's still going now. There are multiple versions. There are more reading plans than you can count. And this is the best part. For those of you who say, I'm not a reader, it will read itself to you. You can simply ask for it to read a section of Scripture. It will read it aloud to you. Can I tell you today, my friends, spending time in the Word of God changes you. It has to. The eternality of the Word of God speaks into our temporality, things that are different than the culture that we live in. You see, we're told often that the Word of God has to change to be culturally appropriate. It never has. The Word of God is what it is and always will be. It cannot be moved by cultural trends. Changing the Word of God because it's uncomfortable is simply not an option. If we're going to say we believe it, then we sure should know what's in it. Let's take time this year to let the Word of God be something that anchors our lives. Here's the third thing. Pray for the spiritual growth for the family of God. Deeper, not necessarily wider. Deeper is something that I find impressive, but I think God finds it more so. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting some new classes to lead you deeper. Here's a a sample of a few of them. Each Wednesday night, we do what we call webs, Wednesday evening Bible study. You'll find us on the E-Hall. We start at 6, and it's 30 minutes to allow our, our other friends to go to choir and other things as they need to. We invite you to join us there. Here's another one. Katie Little is teaching a class on the book of Jude, the shortest book in the New Testament. We invite you to join her on January 11th at 6 p.m. James Irvin is beginning a Financial Peace University, a Bible-based stewardship plan. It also begins January 11th at 6 p.m. Brian is teaching a class on finding your place in God's global mission beginning the next week, January 18th at 6 p.m. Our friend Barry Simpson is teaching a men's study on finding God's work in the ordinary. It begins January 19th at 6.30 a.m. And if none of these fit for you, then call me, email me, text me. I'll find you another one, even if it means just you and me sitting down together. Some of you, somebody say, oh, no, not that. (laughs) My wife laughs at me when people ask a question sometimes about the Bible. She'll say they just wanted to know what time it is, Darren, not how the clock is made. I encourage you, though, find out how the clock is made. 
it's not as hard as you think. Letting the word of God drip off your own soul will lead you deeper and it will lead you wider, which brings us to the next thing. Pray for urgency in Jesus' strength to be salt and light to a dark and tasteless world. In Matthew 5, Jesus commands me to be salt, something that is very tasty and light, something that intrudes on darkness. Used well, neither of these can be hidden. Have you ever over-salted something? Yes, of course you have, just like I have. And when you do, sometimes it's hard to take now, there will be many who will receive that, who will see our passion for Christ, our love for him, our integral relationship with God, and they'll call us intolerant, unloving, bigoted. These things will be terms they will use to warn others against our path. In that moment, let us be clear that darkness always hates the light. It always seeks to hide from it and always will prepare accordingly. Standing for Christ will not be free, but it is necessary. We can be salt, light, and loving. Some of the most dour people I've ever known are Christians. I don't understand that. Let us instead find in our hearts the passion to tell people about Jesus in a loving way, not in a condemning way, they won't be won to Christ by a Facebook argument or a Twitter, Twitter spat. They might be won to Jesus by showing them the love of Christ in practical ways. Two last things and we'll be concluded for today. One, pray for passion, for godly purity to be embraced. This is something that has been anchored in my soul for the last couple of years. In fact, we'll have a series on it a little later this year. God's holy standards are routinely mocked, even among those who are frequent in church attendance. We've compressed our faith to make it more digestible so neatly into our cultural world that it's almost indistinguishable from the world in which we live. God will not judge us on our cultural acumen or our popularity. He will judge us on our faithfulness to his calling and his word. And a part of that is purity. Teaching our children that purity matters. Exemplifying it for them. Demonstrating our love for Jesus in what we allow into our home and what we say no to. Now, quite frankly, that's harder now than it's ever been. I was reminded of that just this weekend. We sat down to watch uh, some ball games and Lego Masters, a great program. Let me just invite you to see it there. I was horrified at some of the commercials that were shown in what should be family programming, what they advertise as family programming. The passion for godly purity is not something to hold people down, nor is it to mock others who don't agree with us. Rather, it is an invitation, a command, to let our lives stand clear of the destruction that we'll see in others. If you want an example of that, then go to Proverbs chapter seven and read it today. There you'll find the story 
of a young man who was swayed by someone who wasn't embracing purity. It ends with little did he know that he was like a deer caught in a trap with an arrow that would pierce his liver. In other words, a fatal wound. How many times must we watch people self-destruct who understand that shouldn't be for us? I encourage you to pray with me for passion, for godly purity to be embraced. This last one is something that maybe you've noticed in me and it's something that I try to do. Pray will use encouragement in any and every context. It is amazing to me how a kind word to a person who is working in a service industry, a gracious word spoken at the right time can bring a breath of life. It is something that I practiced long ago and it's something that my mother tried to talk me out of, if I'm honest. We were walking through the grocery store. I couldn't have been more than seven years old. We saw someone that just looked lonely. I don't know why I did it. No one told me to, certainly not my mother, certainly not my dad. I just walked up to him and spoke to them and told them I would pray for them. I don't know who that person was and I don't know what happened to them after that, but I know the facial expression they had that moment. It told me this was something they needed. I came back to my mother and she said, Darren, do you know that person? No, ma'am. We don't talk to strangers, Darren. Yes, ma'am. Why did you do it? I said, because they looked like they needed a friend. Maybe there's somebody in your life that does too. Maybe it's you. Let us encourage one another. Hebrews 10 is one of my favorite passages. It speaks to who God is, how we can engage in that, how he invites us into the throne room of God, but it also speaks to how we encourage one another. Let us, friends, let our lives be marked by offering a word of kindness. It doesn't have to be a fake word. Even when we know they're not doing well, we tell them they are anyway. It need not be an arrogant one of us keeping a scoreboard tally of how many people we've encouraged. If that helps you, then do that. But let it instead be something that is motivated because you recognize they, whoever they are, whatever spiritual qualities they might or might not have, they're God's child too. Maybe the Lord has sent you into their lives. Maybe God has sent them into yours to offer a word of kindness and reflect the goodness that God has shown to you. Friends, today, these are the things that I'm praying for and more for us as a church. These things are the things that will grant us clarity for the new year. Now, for some, these things don't necessarily have click boxes. I use an app on my phone. It's one that my, my, my family and my staff know that I use it every day. It's, 
just a little click box thing. It helps me stay on track. And they know nothing gives me more pleasure than clicking done, marking that box and being able to say I can put that away. These things don't fit that neatly. There's not a click box to mark it off. And yet, God has not called me to a list of tasks. He's called me to a life of experience. Maybe you need to do that too. Here's what you can do today. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your life for the first time. I'll be waiting down here for you if you want to do that. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer, setting your heart and mind right. This altar is open for you for that purpose. Perhaps, just maybe, you need to sit some time down with your family and talk about these things and how it plugs into your household. I invite you to start planning for that now. This day is the one God has given you to begin a new path, new habits, new direction, all because you live life on purpose. Let's pray together. And now, Lord Jesus, we as your people have come together to respond to you. Oh, we don't have to, Jesus. We can say no, but that's a response too. I know, Lord, that for some, the idea of beginning a new year is exciting. For others, it's terrifying. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us in either end of that. So in this invitation time, Lord, it's my prayer that right here and now, today, this moment, we would choose to live a life of purpose. Knowing we can't give away what we don't possess, let it start on the inside of us, Lord. Let our lives and our being be defined by you. My prayer, Lord, is that right now, in this moment, we would say yes to you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's your time of decision. What will you do with it? If the Lord has so directed you to come to this altar, it's open for you. If you need somebody to pray with you or you have a decision you want to make, I'm waiting here for you. Let's stand together and sing as you come.